0: W-233-AH Monticello
1: Good evening and welcome to the local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania I'm your host Jason Dolt and it's the first night of Hanukkah Happy Hanukkah The congregation at the Landfield Avenue Synagogue in Monticello has a brand new menorah it was built by local artists. Lori James joins us in the second half of the program to talk about that. But first up, we start where we usually start on a Thursday evening. That's by connecting with the Times Union's Hudson Valley Bureau for the latest news. Joining us on the phone is Lana Bellamy, who will provide updates on what's going on. Lana, welcome back to the program.
2: Thanks for having me. It's good to be back.
1: So let's start off by uh, uh, news about the news, a, a local paper, a regional papers uh, bringing up a First Amendment case. This is The Reporter in Delhi, is that correct?
2: Yes. Um, this was sort of a, a meta story. I hadn't actually really done a story like this where I go and interview another paper about something that's going on. So it was pretty interesting to me.
1: That doesn't usually happen.
2: No. Uh, we usually are not the story. We just tell everyone else what the story is. But, um, the reporter, which is, um, like you said, it's in Delhi. It's a weekly, um, but they do report every day online. It's publisher Decker Advertising is suing Delaware County government over alleged First Amendment violations that have happened, um, since 2022, basically. The lawsuit was filed in the federal court and it named 17 members of the county's Board of Supervisors, the county itself, and the county attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a pretty um, heavy suit, but um, it basically, its claims all center around um, what it described as unfairness that was related to the county pulling the reporter's newspaper of record designation because uh, county officials didn't like how the paper covered. Uh, its news about county government, and also allegations that the county had impeded on the paper's news-gathering ability by issuing a GAC directive on public officials.
1: The suit is over. The reporter's newspaper of record designation being pulled. What does that mean?
2: Yes, people might not um, truly understand what it means to be a newspaper of record, but... Um, what it, what it is is basically a contract between a, a government entity and a, a newspaper where the government pays the newspaper to publish um, its legal ads and public notices and things that are required to be put out there um, so that people know what's going on basically. These contracts, they're not very expensive, but a lot of papers can see that as, and count on it as a steady source of income. And so that's kind of a big deal in our industry that's been struggling, especially smaller local papers, um, with, uh, you know, decreased advertising and increased printing costs and um, struggling, you know, to keep subscribers and, and other forms of revenue.
1: I can understand Delaware County government uh, pulling that newspaper of record designation for the reporter in Delhi would would be damaging to the reporter in terms of it gets less business, but is that a First Amendment issue?
2: Well, we've seen other papers that um, have also had this designation either pulled or not renewed, which would be unusual for them, like the Shawan Journal. And uh, the Putnam County News and Recorder, but this case is uh, probably a bit unique because a year after the designation was pulled, the county's uh, board of supervisors, plus you know more than a dozen other types of county officials, signed this letter and sent it to the reporter, and it it basically. Well, it didn't basically. It did say outright that they did not like the paper's coverage, and that was why they chose a different uh, paper to designate that year.
1: So in that case, then, First Amendment being that the government isn't supposed to impose on what the free press is doing, and that sounds like government passing judgment then.
2: True. Yeah, that is. Um, that's what the lawsuit claims. And then another claim, uh, First Amendment claim in this suit is about the, um, they, they called it a gag directive in the lawsuit, but it was this new protocol that the county attorney's office directed upon other county officials where, um, all questions for any story, any news gathering that the reporters, journalists were doing related to county business had to go through the county's attorney's office. So, um, they weren't able to just talk directly to um, any other department leader, so they are claiming that that impeded on theirs and the public officials that they would inquire to first Amendment rights to to speak openly on matters uh, that they are like well versed in you know sharing public information freely.
1: When exactly did this happen?
2: This suit was actually filed on Monday. But the county, or the reporter, had already sent a demand letter to the county um, in the summer to let them know that they were contemplating this lawsuit, and they're being represented by the Cornell Law School First Amendment Clinic. Um, so that correspondence was between a lawyer for the clinic and the county. Uh, to let them know that they would contemplate a lawsuit if they didn't change that protocol and reinstitute them as the newspaper of record and compensate them for the losses that they've experienced.
1: Okay, so what happens next?
2: Well, definitely going to see how it plays out in court. I want to see um, how the county responds because the county did decline to comment for our story about what was going on. And the county attorney would be the one to uh, have to respond on behalf of everyone who was named. So it'll be interesting to see how they defend their actions and their explanation of why they did it. It it might be a little while, um, but we'll be sure to keep readers apprised as soon as we know more information.
1: Absolutely. We'll talk to you about it, too. This is very interesting. I I did not know this was happening. On to the next story, the Lexington Center for Recovery, which opened an opioid use treatment center in Monticello in Sullivan County earlier this year, just opened another clinic in Dover Plains. Can you tell us about it?
2: Sure. Yes. The Lexington Center for Recovery, which is headquartered in Westchester, but they have clinics and programs, like 15 of them throughout Dutchess County, Sullivan, Rockland, and Westchester counties. Um, so this new one has opened up in Dover Plains, and they celebrate that opening on December 1st. And that clinic's going to treat outpatients with a range of services, but I think some important ones to point out are um, making available medication to treat addictions, such as methadone. And then they'll also provide counseling, peer services, and medical assessments, which is all very similar to Um, was provided at the clinic in Monticello, which I wrote about last year. That Monticello clinic was unique in it being the state's first methadone dosing unit. And so this clinic in uh, Dover Plains, it's been in the works for a little while now. The state announced a couple of years ago that it was going to invest $200,000 of grant money into developing its program.
1: So, is is the community supportive of this? Is or is there uh, anybody who's critical of it?
2: I haven't really heard too much as far as negative feedback about it, um, but that doesn't mean that it's not necessarily out there. I mean, methadone dosing is it's been highly controversial, um, you know, nationwide. And I did talk to uh, the the people who run the clinic when the Monticello one opened. And they are really trying to educate the public on how methadone, if it's used properly, can be safe and effective um, and what methadone is. So also providing the education about how it works. Um, so methadone is considered a full opioid agonist. So that means that it, it binds those opioid receptors similarly to other opioids or opiates, but it can help someone get through an entire day without feeling those um, terrible symptoms of withdrawal or cravings. So they, they try to take, of course, which is recommended, this uh, more comprehensive approach. It's, they're not just giving uh, people methadone medication, they're also pairing that with counseling and other types of services um, to treat their addiction. So the education really might be um, critical in helping the community understand why this clinic is there. I think it's also interesting and important to point out too that the, um, the grant funding is coming from an initiative to help increase access to treatment in places where not a lot of options are available. So for instance, Lexington already has two clinics that are in the city of Poughkeepsie. But the Dover Plains Clinic is, you know, outside of that area. So in rural areas, you do find some issues with access. Um, And then, you know, in rural areas, you also, you see a lot of addiction too. So that was part of why they also wanted to open the one in Monticello as well.
1: And then finally, there's this race for wall kill town supervisor, and I've heard it's been locked in a tie uh, since the election, since election day in, in November. Um, and, and the, the votes have been certified already and it's still a tie. How, how close is it? And when will we know who the town supervisor is going to be in Walkill?
2: Oh, yes. This is really, uh, kind of fascinating to me because I've been reporting for, I mean, I'm going to reach 10 years soon and just your regular part of reporting is covering elections. That you hardly ever see a dead even tie um and for instance, when I used to work uh covering politics in Kentucky when there was a tie, what would happen is they would they would do a coin flip to break the tie to figure out who takes the seat. Wow. Um, that is not how New York handles elections um so but anyway, so what happened was. It seems as though Democratic Councilman Neil Meyer, who was challenging the incumbent Republican supervisor, George Serrano, on election night, it seemed that Meyer was slightly ahead. And then uh, the Board of Elections had to count some outstanding ballots, which included some absentees, and it came out to a tie. So obviously that went straight to a hand recount, which happened last week. And it only took a day uh, for the commissioners to... Finish. And there were three ballots that were in question, uh, which put the totals uh, Neil Meyer, 1908 votes, and George Serrano, 1910 votes. Um, but Serrano had challenged two ballots that Neil Meyer was claiming. And Neil Meyer challenged one ballot um, that apparently, according to people who I talked to who witnessed the count, wasn't wasn't included in the whole count because it couldn't be determined who the person was trying to vote for. But Serrano wanted to claim that one. So the issue is going to court, and actually the court date is tomorrow. And the, the possible outcomes um, are going to be that either this race ends up tied again, depending on the judgment that happens, or uh, Serrano could win the race uh, by at least one, so if it's tied again, um, I learned through the election commissioners that that means that uh, there was a failure to elect for this seat. So the seat would be vacant. And then that is where the town law is going to kick in. So in Walk Hill, it would be up to the uh, town board, which would have four members at the turn of the year if you, you know, count the open supervisor seats. And they would have to uh, decide if they wanted to appoint an interim supervisor and then vote on that appointment. Um, They don't have to, but they can, and it doesn't have to be either candidate. And then what happens next in terms of the election is either the governor can call for a special election and basically rerun the race, um, or if that doesn't happen, the supervisor seat is going to be on the ballot in November
1: 2024. Again, it's going to be on two years yeah. in a row. Oh my goodness, this really way, is wild. Going
2: to be an, yeah. Either way, there'll be another election uh, for them to about to you know battle this out.
1: I mean, if he, it's tied, it's so rare. Like in my notes, it actually said dead even tie, and I couldn't even bring myself to say that. I'm like I'm like, there's no way. Like this just doesn't happen. But I guess it's happening yeah. in Wallkill.
2: Yeah, I mean, you might see sometimes like virtually tied or. Too close to call, but this was dead even. I I always use that term because I, I just wanted to sink in for people how rare this is. I should note, though, um, I did ask the Orange County Board of Elections commissioners when the last time was that they saw a dead even tie like this. And they did say that this was, quote, very rare. Those were their words. But, um there was actually a tied race for town justice in New Windsor in 2017. That was the last time. So just a little fun fact.
1: All right. Orange County keeping us on our toes. <laughs> We've been talking to Lana Bellamy from the Times Union. Oh, and these stories are up at timesunion.com. Lana, thank you so much for keeping us up to date on all this.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the first night of Hanukkah in Monticello and a brand new menorah, the Landfield Avenue Synagogue. Stay with us. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local.
0: This week on Selected Shorts, Edgar Carrot, Ruman Alam and Gish Jen tackle the basics. Who, what, where. A child tests his boundaries, a father gets lost in himself, and a grandmother lives in two worlds. I'm your host, Meg Wallitzer. Please tune in. Sunday
2: night at 7. On Radio Catskill.
1: Welcome back to the Local Edition. Tonight is the first night of Hanukkah, and over in Monticello, the folks, the congregation of the Landfield Avenue Synagogue, uh, they've already held their menorah lighting for tonight, but it was a very special occasion because they have a new menorah, and they have a lot else that's going on this weekend in conjunction with Hanukkah. So yesterday, on the phone, I spoke with Lori James, a member of their board of directors. She told us all about what they got going on. Well, Lori, uh, happy Hanukkah! Thank you so much. We're so excited
0: that uh, that you want to hear about the wonderful things going on at our synagogue.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I want to check in with what's going on in the community, and you know, it is the first night of Hanukkah. But one of the headlines here is uh, Landfield Avenue Synagogue in Monticello has a new menorah.
0: So yes, so the menorahs in uh, Monticello are um, older, to say the least. So. We wanted to kind of spruce up a little bit, and Jared Kaufman, who is our menorah chairperson, uh, went out, and he raised some money so that we were able to actually hire two local artists um, to come in and actually uh, design. Uh, they do metal sculpting, and they designed a brand-spanking-new menorah. This year, the menorah, the first one that will go up that we will replace will be at the Ted Strobel building, which is most of the people in the community still call it the neighborhood facility. Um, and that's the one that is by the government center, uh, in Monticello. Uh, it's, it's actually on Jefferson Street. So we're very excited that it'll be erected there. Um, we, as I said, we had two amazing, amazing local artists who came in and did the work for us. Uh, so, actually, a father-son team, uh, Zach and Barry Shavrick, uh, did an amazing, amazing job uh, to make sure that they were not only making a menorah for us, for the community, but for the world as a whole, and their vision will be shown through it. So, even if you're not with us the first night when we actually dedicate it, which, of course, is Thursday night, and you've missed that ceremony, we have several other times that we will be back at that menorah during this week, that people can come and see it. Look at the beautiful artwork that was done. A lot of people think Hanukkah is a holiday, and it's not a holy day. What what Hanukkah is is it's the celebration of the miracle of the lights remaining when they only had oil for one night to last for eight nights. And that's what the the Jewish faith, Celebrates on this, but with what's going on in the world today, so many other people are understanding that lights bring hope, spirit, and joy, and everyone's lighting. That's what we're finding out is is that people are asking us, um, do we have menorahs because they'd like to light with us? They'd like um, they'd like that sign of peace of what, of what light and tran- tran- tranquility does mean. So we're very
1: excited about that. Wow, that all sounds great. A couple things I wanna I wanna touch on there that you said is just pointing out that the artists that you got to do this, Zach and Barry Javrick, Of course, uh, people should be familiar if you're in Sullivan County with Zach's work, uh, welded artwork sculptures that you've seen around the area. So I love the fact that it's very that you've got like this global perspective, uh, with the new menorah, but it's, it's also Sullivan County artists and, and the artwork that's really become a part of our community fabric. And now that's going to be there, uh, at Landfield Avenue too. I think that's so cool.
0: Yes. We, so we believe that, um, you know, one of the things that we have to remember, especially with what's going on in our world today is that, you know, whatever faith you are, whatever you believe, um, whatever race you are, nationality you are, religion, it, it doesn't matter. When when we cut ourselves, we all bleed red blood. We are exactly the same internally, and we need to learn how to get along, and we need to know how to find peace, because this is a very small planet. And uh, we welcome everybody of the Jewish faith to come in, To our synagogue and 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 pray but we've had some people come in and just say may I come in and see what this is all about because I would like to understand your religion better and we say absolutely come on in we're happy to teach we do not proselytize what we do is we allow people to see what it is we do so that it brings us um, in a situation where you know when you know you realize there's nothing bad there's nothing bad in somebody else you learn you you get to know people um, and it becomes that we then stop the negative and the hateful things that can be said in, in any particular situation. So we're hoping that by redoing these menorahs, um, obviously we couldn't do them all in one year. Um, but to redo them and to maybe start this as a tradition as we continue to build more menorahs around our community, uh, to be able to do that so that people can, A, enjoy the, the artwork, but art brings the world together, as does, you know, faith. And you notice I didn't say religion. I said faith. Faith brings us together, faith in, in a promise of world peace, uh, faith in, in, in the fact of kindness and love, And faith does that. Whatever our faith may be, it's the faith that's involved. And we hope that people will celebrate what light means, the spirit of life, the spirit of light, and the spirit of peace.
1: And there's a, a spirit of renewal and it's interesting to hear that this isn't just one new menorah but you you're looking at renewing all of them this is the start and and uh Laurie I know you when you get on a project uh things start to happen so I I already hear that you're so you're getting I, ready to I to am... make this a bigger project <laughs>
0: Thanks, but you know, I am part of this, but there is there are a lot of people who are working with me on this. I am just one small cog in this very big wheel Right, right. Um, with regard to uh, bringing back our synagogue, really making it whole, making our synagogue all things Jewish in Sullivan County and the Catskills, um, and again, making it um, more of a community center feel that people can come to us, ask questions, get their needs fulfilled, Um, but to be able to bring the community together. We hope that people will come to all of our menorah lightings. Our first one, of course, is this big one where we're dedicating this menorah, and we're so glad that it was finished in enough time to do so. Our second night, which is Friday night, is at the Village Hall. Our third night, which is after Shabbos, so it's a little bit later. And so Friday night is a little early and the menorah lighting will be at four o'clock because Shabbos starts early, as you know the, the you know, our Sabbath starts Sundown. early because the sun goes down um. earlier now. Um in the same way we can't light until after Shabbos on um on the ninth, which is Saturday, so we'll be a little later. Our menorah lighting that uh, that day, which will actually take place at the village hall again. No, excuse me, that one will be at the Teddy Strobel. That will be with the with the new menorah. That one will take place at six PM. Then on the 10th, we will have our menorah lighting prior to our dinner, and that will be at 5.15. And the rest of them are at 5.15. On the 11th, we will be at the hospital. Um, on the 12th, we will be back in the village hall. Uh, on the 13th, back at the Strobel Center. And then on the 14th, ending at the village hall. We also have two dinners that are going on. Our Friday night dinner is a Shabbos dinner. Uh, we have an interim rabbi, so he, him with his family and some friends will be up, and we're going to celebrate a Hanukkah Shabbos. Uh, and you just need to call the synagogue, or you can email the synagogue as well. Again, all information is on our Facebook page, and also out in a number of other um, another uh, a number of other items. Um, so we hope that people will come and do that. Again, our, our phone number to reserve for that Friday night dinner is 845-794-8470. And then our Sunday dinner is actually an annual fundraiser for us. Um it is an entirely home-cooked meal. Uh, James uh, Goldfarb, Helen Rados, Alan Keston, myself, uh, Diane Moss, uh, Mona Baker, the, the whole bunch of us will be in the kitchen. Uh, doing our thing and we do soup to nuts, a homemade dinner with homemade latkes. So um, not anything pre-bought. We actually right. grate the potatoes and the onions. So come and join us for that. And again, you can reserve tickets either by calling the synagogue or going on our, on our website or Facebook page. So we'll, we're in and around the Monticello community. Uh, you don't have to be from Monticello to attend. We invite everybody to come. We don't care if you're Orthodox, Reform, if you're Chabad, if you're Lubavitch. We, we don't care. We don't care if you're conservative. We don't care if, if you're not of the faith and still want to come and see what it's all about and help us light those, those candles of peace.
1: Uh, and, and Lori, you've, you've gone over it all. You've talked about like what's happening in the world. And just to make it clear for people, unfortunately, what's happening right here in America is, is a rise in anti-Semitism. So it's uh, amazing to hear you addressing all of that with action, with joy and with connections, trying to make connections between people. You're talking about what's happening in the community and all the different events that's going on. The last thing I want to ask you before we go, though, if you could, if you don't mind, is, on the personal level, can you share with us a Hanukkah memory that means something to you that you think of this time of year?
0: So um, many of the people in the community know that I lost my parents when I was very young. I was um, I was 14 when I lost my mom, and I was 16 when I lost my dad. And um, for me, the best memory is remembering they had a little table that was just off of the Kitchen area and what we do, you'll see a lot of people put the electric menorahs in their window, and it's because we want to share the, the the festival. We want to share the miracle of those candles lasting for eight days. Um, so we had like a little uh, coffee cart that um, my mother used to dress up and decorate, and my father would put the menorahs out, and one of the menorahs. Um, belonged to my grandparents, and they brought it off the boat when they em- and when they emigrated here. And um, that menorah, I still light to this day. And every time I do, it just brings me the warmth, the warmth of my family, and the recognition and remembrance of the traditions and the spirituality that they gave to me. Wow.
1: And it's amazing you have that that physical connection to those memories as well and that history and heritage. And I thank you so much for sharing that with everyone on the radio right now. Lori, thank you so much and, and happy Hanukkah once again.
0: Thank you so much. Come, come, come light, come get gelt, donuts, food. We feed you. And please just everybody be safe, happy, and for everybody, just a peaceful holiday season.
1: And once again, a reminder that the Landfield Avenue Synagogue is online at LandfieldAvenueSchule.org or their phone number is 845-794-8470. That's 794-8470. And over in Parksville this Sunday, the community will be coming together for the second annual Holiday Menorah Lighting. They advise people to dress warm and people can stroll the rail trail at 3.30 from the Fox Mountain Trailhead. The lighting will be happening at 4.30 in the afternoon at the Dove and the Menorah there in Parksville. Hot chocolate potato latkes will be served. And also on Sunday, right here on Radio Catskill at 1 p.m., you want to tune in for Borscht Beat with Aaron Benditch. He'll definitely be celebrating Hanukkah on Borscht Beat this Sunday. And at 8 p.m., tune in for Hanukkah Memories and Melodies, six artists sharing memories of Hanukkah and the music of the holiday. That's a special coming from WQXR. That'll be 8 p.m. on Sunday. That's it for the local edition. I've been your host, Jason Dole. The Daily's up next. Happy first night of Hanukkah. Radio Catskill supporters include listeners like you, who donate at wjffradio.org, and Dickens on the Delaware in Calicoon, Saturday, noon to 6, featuring a holiday market of local artisans, photos with Santa and alpacas, street theater, caroling, and horse and buggy rides. Local merchants open until 8. More information at visitcalicoon.com.
0: WJFF Radio Catskill, keeping
2: you connected with national news, community interviews, and your favorite local shows.